Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. We are brought to you by our title sponsor, and that is our friends at Mountainland Supply. Appreciate them being the title sponsor of this fine program. I want to remind you guys that Mountainland Supply is where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. All right, time to let you guys hear a little sound from last night. University of Utah obviously winning the Pac-12 championship 38-10 to over the Oregon Ducks. What an incredible night for the University of Utah. Just another one of those moments that you will remember where you were at when Utah accomplished this. And obviously, they have gotten the uh, Rose Bowl berth as well, or will receive a Rose Bowl invitation. And looking forward to that. At Pasadena on New Year's Day. Eric, are you, I know you're an NFL guy. Let's Before we get to the sound, I know you're an NFL guy growing up by and large. Do you have any memories of the Rose Bowl at all from your growing up years? Um, like, like watching it because uh, PK talks about the fact PK grew up in New Jersey and he said that it was absolutely fascinating him to turn on a game where people are wearing shorts on January first when he's in New Jersey and there's snow on the ground. Same thing for me here in Utah. I grew up in this state. For me, watching the Rose Bowl was like, oh, that's Southern California. That's that's the high life right there. That's what I loved about the Rose Bowl growing up. Yeah, there's certainly a, a charm to it. That, that 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 comes along with it, but no, I don't have a ton of personal experience like like that. I've I've only really gotten deep into college football over these past few years, and even that's not as deep as you. But you know, there you know, I I do I do enjoy the pageantry. Okay, the pageantry and. The decor of the Rose Bowl. <laughs> well, it will be fun. Well, let's let you hear, though, from Kyle Whittingham after Utah's win last night. Obviously elated for his team, a huge accomplishment for him personally as a head coach. So here you go, Kyle Whittingham speaking to the media after Utah wins the Pac-12 title. Okay. Um, very proud of our guys for putting the, the punctuation on, a, on the last game. Uh, I guess it's not the regular season, but the last Pac-12 game of the year. Uh, very difficult to beat a team twice, especially a team the caliber of Oregon. Uh, they're a heck of a, a group. They got a ton of talent. And uh, for our guys to be able to do that 13 days ago and then turn around and, and do it again, that's, that's uh, uh, you know, just let you know how tough those guys are, how uh, determined and the, the high character level that these guys have. It's been a pleasure to coach them all year long. Uh, what we've been through this year is is uh, you know has been the most difficult year of my coaching career in many, in many respects, and uh, our guys and our leadership uh, couldn't have done it without those guys and the leaders and the seniors and the upperclassmen who did such a great job all season long of, of persevering. Uh, you know our mantra after the tragedy was, you know, we're not going to get over it, but we'll get through it, and I believe our guys really did that. And uh, like I said, couldn't be more proud of them. I haven't seen the final numbers, but I know that our defense was suffocating uh, up until, you know, they got a few yards in the fourth quarter, but I think they only had like 150 yards through three, if I, if I read the board right, something like that. And uh, Cam Rising, what a, what a story uh, that kid's been this year. Uh, was the second string quarterback the first three games. 
and uh, just persevered, prepared like he was the starter, had a great attitude. When he got his shot, he made the most of it, and the rest is history. And so uh, it's a history-making football team at Utah. We've never won the Pac-12, and so uh, proud of them for that. And uh, in the, you know, the, the convincing fashion that they did it, uh, you know, if you, if you would have told me that after three games that we're going to be here right now, I would have said you're crazy. But uh, these guys uh, just buckled down, and what did we go nine and one? I guess the rest of the way after those first three, and so uh, couldn't be more proud. And uh, just a, a just a, a year that's filled with so many ups and downs, and and. Uh, Ty and Aaron, you know, we love those two young men, and, and uh, they were with us tonight. I'm, I'm positive of that, that they were here. So, questions? Obviously, Devin Lloyd, you know, wins the MVP. Can you speak to his impact and his value for this team over the course of the season and then as well tonight? Yeah, his impact and value cannot be overstated. I mean, he is such a, a leader, such a pure talent. He could have come out last year and been a first or second round draft choice. I think he's probably played his way into the top 10 or 12 uh, in the first round now. That's that's uh, what I'm hearing. And uh, he came back and he was a man on a mission. He wanted to, to uh, win the championship. He wanted to be an All-American. Uh, he had these goals. We sat down and he told me all of his goals uh, when we had the meeting about a year ago, just uh, a little over a year ago when he was making that decision. He says, I'm coming back and here's why and here's what I want to accomplish. And he's checked every box so far. Kyle, obviously you've been in this scenario before, not the winning side, but the, you know, the Pac-12 championship. What, what do you think it was that was so different with your team this time around? It seemed like they, they just didn't let anything phase them, even with the two turnovers. Yeah, well, just that. They handled adversity all, all season long. The resiliency that they've shown, uh, they've shown all season long has been incredible. Uh, a handful of our guys were with us for those two previous championship games, 18 and 19. Uh, you know, Devin and Cove and, and uh, maybe another 10 or 12 guys. And so uh, they were not to be denied this, this time around. And they, they uh, had a big influence on the rest of the football team. And, and uh, really, uh, the practice uh, all season long were were outstanding, and especially when we started to get some momentum, and uh, they were you know they wouldn't have it any other way. This team was governed from within, and I can't say enough good things about the leadership and the and the coaching staff. Uh, I think we got one of the best assistant coaching staffs in the country. Uh, Morgan Scally and Andy Ludwig did a great job playing off of their game plans from 13 days ago and adding some little subtle changes and some some tweaks and some uh, modifications that really uh, complemented what we did 13 days ago, and and it was. Uh, uh, you know, it was great to see that game plan come to fruition. Of course, it's the players who execute it, but uh, couldn't be more proud of our staff. And, and that's not only the coordinators, but all the position coaches all the way through. Kyle, you were telling us coming in, into this game that you you guys were, were probably going to see a, a Oregon team that was a lot more more motivated after what you guys did to them two weeks ago. Just now seeing of, of what you've done now, what what was kind of the, the difference to where you guys did this again to this Oregon team? Well, we had the same mentality and mindset and focus and that look in their eye that they had two weeks ago. And and uh, I think in either of those games, I don't think it would have mattered who we were playing. Uh, these guys were were uh, absolutely locked in and and uh, on a mission. And they were not going to be denied. And, and as talented and as good a football team as Oregon is, I mean, they beat Ohio State at Ohio State. They were, what, third in the nation at one time and in the I mean, they're they're a talented crew, and uh, but our guys, you know, I guess I don't know how you can uh, say it, but uh, they were very determined, very motivated. 
Uh, Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Con I know you, Josh. You don't have to introduce yourself. <laughs> okay, the rules are rules. Really? All right. Um, on the opening drive, you guys get stuffed on third and one. You you go on fourth and one. Mm -hmm. Cam picks it up. W was that moment important in terms of setting it? you know, the tone that you won for the night? Absolutely. And we played it aggressively. And, uh, you know, we were, and really the last eight ball games, we've opted to take the ball seven or eight games in a row. And that, that just is more of uh, that kind of mentality and that attitude. And our offense had so much confidence as the season uh, went on that uh, I personally thought they were going to score every possession. And, and uh, they ended up, I think, the second or the last seven or eight games of the year, we might have led the nation in points per possession or at least in the top five. And uh, that really, that play really set the tone. And, and we ended up scoring a touchdown on the opening drive. And, and I can't remember how many fourth downs we went for tonight, two or three, but we converted, I think we converted every one of them. And so that's a, you know, a credit to the offensive line too, because those situations are really where you lean on your offensive line and, and uh, you know, get that push that you need to get the first down. <clears throat> Coach, obviously in every game you go in with a certain set of expectations and sort of set of goals in your game plan. What tonight was the most unexpected thing for you? Unexpected. Uh, I don't know if I can name one because every you know as you put the plan together and you and you uh, you know you analyze it and you you go over it and over it and over it and you 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 know try to okay you know uh, see the out or visualize the outcomes and and how each play complements and sets up another play. I I don't think there's anything offensively or defensively or special teams wise for that matter that that really was a surprise tonight. Uh, you know went uh, very close to close to as planned i mean I, I don't know if there's anything that was that i could give you an answer to that uh, or an answer that was uh something that we didn't expect but just because you expect it doesn't mean it's going to happen but but that's what we expected to happen uh, kyle bonniger with espn um obviously a very pro utah crowd today at what point did you realize how skewed it was going to be in your favor and what'd you make of the venue change overall? during warm-ups it was incredible i mean it was uh five to one is what it looked like during warm-ups and then when the game actually started it was probably still close to that four to one three to one but but uh, it was definitely a, a crowd in our favor appreciate our, our our crowd they've been awesome all year long the, the crowd at uh, rice echoes 13 days ago for that oregon game was the best environment i've ever been in and uh, this was you know just a, a great show of support from our fans i promise you one thing they're going to travel to the rose bowl i guarantee you that. Steve Bartle, you'd zone. I guess I'll follow the rules okay. as well. Um, yeah. uh, you look like the guy <laughs> on Ted Lasso, by the way. The, the guy that you know, wouldn't. Yeah. There you go. There you go. There you go. Um, your tight end group. We've talked about them. Uh, talked about them a lot this season. Uh, two weeks ago, it was Brant Keithy. Tonight, it was Dalton Kincaid mm -hmm. through the air. Just their ability to impact the game in both phases. Um, just what did that mean to your offense tonight? It's been huge for us, not only tonight but all season long. We think that's the best trio of tight ends in the country. I, I, you'll be hard pressed to find any team that's got three guys that uh, are as talented as those three. And. Uh, you know, like you said, Brant was uh, not as prominent tonight as Dalton, but every week it's you know all three of those guys as a as a uh, as a group always bring uh, great results, and and uh, it's an elite group. It's it's an elite group. We might lose them all; they may all turn to the NFL. If so, we wish them well. But uh, they were really the the. I don't want to say the core of the offense this year, but they were they were huge, and we played so many two and three tight end sets. We probably had, we had to lead the nation in two and three tight end sets, and and it's because of their talent level. 
Kyle, I'm sure that the emotions right now are still new and raw, but you know, Pac-12 coaches are always trying to get to the Rose Bowl, right? That's the goal. Um, does it feel like you've gotten to the pinnacle as a as a Pac-12 head coach right now? Well, uh, certainly a great feeling, and it's something we've been working towards for a long time. We've been in the league, what, 10 years now, 11 years, and it's been a process. And we got in the league, uh, we knew we were going to have to you know, have some things uh, improve. Uh, you know, our roster, we, we had to, to uh, the, the perimeter, the skill players, we knew we were a little behind their uh, facilities, budget, but we've just been working away at it ever since we joined the league. And uh, this is the culmination of a lot of years of hard work and effort, not only by us, by our administration, by everybody involved. It takes a lot of people to make this thing go. There you go, Kyle Whittingham speaking after Utah wins the Pac-12 championship. And you're going to talk about the fact that like, this game went about as well as we anticipated going how, going how we thought it was going to go in this game. And I think he was dead on. Utah came out, they set the tone early, they took a lead. They did not allow Oregon to get any sort of confidence, I felt like, offensively. And as I said earlier on, on today's show, if you can go back and listen to it in the podcast version if you want to, Anthony Brown ain't in, and Oregon relying on him all year long, I just felt like it was doomed to fail, and Utah, I think, knew that. And they were like, okay, great, that's who your quarterback is? Well, guess what, we're going to bottle you guys up. And that's exactly what they did. They earned that win. They earned the Pac-12 championship. They are very much deserving of going to the Rose Bowl. I'm looking forward to this. Um, Eric, the only question I have, and maybe you can uh, share your thought on this as well, is how high Utah is going to climb in the college football playoff rankings. Uh, those are la- The last batch of rankings will come out tomorrow morning, and that is when we will officially hear that Utah has been invited to play in that Rose Bowl game. I am thinking they'll be inside the top 15. I'm guessing probably number 13 or number 14. Where do you think they land? Yeah, something like that, 13 or 14. Yeah, I just uh, it, it'll be interesting because I think Oregon's going to slide back, obviously, by virtue of their loss. But this this is very much a deserving team, and I'm I'm ecstatic for Utah fans. I have always dreamed of going to the Rose Bowl game. It's something I've always wanted to go to because. Like I said, I'm a kid who grew up here in Utah when typically New Year's Day shows up and it's freezing and snow's usually on the ground and it's gray outside. Then you see those shots from the Rose Bowl on January 1. San Gabriel Mountains in the background. It seems like it's 70 degrees. People are wearing shorts. I'm like, that's where I want to be. So I am ecstatic for all of you Utah fans out there and the opportunity you guys are going to have to be able to go and watch the University of Utah play in that bowl game. It is the granddaddy for a reason. It's the gold standard of bowl games, in my opinion. I had some people on Twitter last night saying that it's no different than any other New Year's Six bowl game. No, it's different. It's the Rose Bowl. It is the best bowl game out there. Uh, I will be frank about that. I know that the college football playoff is obviously you win the national championship that way. I get all of that, but if you're going to play in one bowl game, you're going to tell me, Jake, you have the opportunity to have your team play in one bowl game. I'm picking the Rose Bowl hands down 10 times out of 10. That's end of story. There, there's no debate in my mind. So congratulations to the University of Utah. Now, flipping attention a little bit, obviously another big win for the Utah Jazz last night. They improved 15-7 and by virtue of a 137-130 to victory over the Boston Celtics. Want to let you guys hear from Quinn Snyder, his takeaways after the Utah Jazz get a hard-fought win over Boston. So here you go. Here's Coach Quinn. 
turn over the thoughts on that one after you know you guys shot the ball so well and obviously that was a huge part of the win but you know do you feel like your level play was where you want to be or where you were I think at certain points in the game there were things that we did um in the first half you know there was a stretch where we just we weren't you know, we just turned it over and, and a lot of them were unforced where we just were, were sloppy or careless. Um, you know, I think they had 20 points off our turnovers in, in the first half. Um, and then the second half, um, you know, when you do that, you know, they started to get it going. Tatum started to get it going. Marcus Smart hit some big shots. Um, you know, we didn't defend at the level that we need to, as evidenced by the 41 we gave up in the third quarter. Um, but we were able to score and I think put ourselves in a position where I thought the way we executed down the stretch was really good. You know, I thought both our defense took a step up um, and offensively we were recognized in some situations where they were trying to switch people out into pick and roll and did a good job of reacting. And obviously, you know, our, our two guards were, were, uh, were terrific. When it comes to those shooting numbers, is there anything you can point to for the reason, or was it just one of those nights that guys just made shots? You know, I, I think it's, you know, I, I think we, I think the ball moved where we got some good catching shoots, but, you know, I thought Donovan early, you know, made the right read. We've talked about that, you know, they're switching and pick and roll and the guy that's switching on to him is back. And, you know, that's an open shot. Um, you know, I think we've got some guys that um, ha have not shot it as well as, as they will continue to. So there's some nights where you, they don't, you don't make, and then, you know, you get a night like tonight where the ball goes in and, um, you know, we took advantage of it. It seems like when you guys have one of those large number of turnover games, right. the bulk of them come in the first half and then you can see the settle down post half. Is that just kind of um, recognizing what happened, adjusting to it? Or? I think there were some specific situations that, that hurt us um, where, where we were, um, you know, not, not we were being simple offensively, but um, there were more people involved in the play. There were more passes being made and, and against these guys every time. You know, we've talked about this before. You know, you like ball movement, but, you know, a lot of those turnovers came on passes, which were ball movement. Um, and when we figured out that we needed to attack at the beginning of the possession, um, you know, and then the ball movement comes after you get an advantage instead of, you know, just being pressured out there. I don't know what that feels like, but it doesn't look fun to be pressured by Dennis Schroeder full court and Marcus Smart and those guys. And obviously our guards did a good job against it. Um, some of the other guys that also turned the ball over. Uh, some of them are just, you know, they're not things that I feel like, you know, guys just got to dig in and be determined. Whatever the case is, don't, don't throw it to the other team. It would be tougher mentally in those situations. I did. I do think, you know, we, we, we wanted to just play more straight pick and roll in the second half um, and primarily just to spread the floor even more. Um, and I thought that, you know, gave, gave our, our better ball handlers a chance to, to be the ones that are attacking. Um, and then some other guys obviously benefited from that. Of course, Emil seemed to really answer the bell in the second quarter when the team was struggling. What did you see from him? He's been, you know, it's the, that bell keeps ringing and he keeps answering it. It's, uh, you know, what he's given us 
you know, in terms of, you know, his toughness defensively. And then, you know, he's been really consistently opportunistic making a shot. You know, he knows when, he knows when a shot's going to come and he's confident shooting it. And um, oftentimes the baskets that he gets, you know, they're, they're big buckets. There you go, Quinn Snyder. And you heard him talk about the turnovers. When, when it happens, you've got to just get back. You've got to do your part. I actually like that. Be mentally stronger and get back over, get back and uh, play your role. Uh, big win for Utah Jazz last night. And I know that their owner probably was watching it, but the owner of the Utah Jazz is in the Bahamas currently. I don't, Eric, Eric, did you see this? Uh, Tony Finau, obviously, is one of Utah's na- uh, favorite native sons, uh, a star on the PGA Tour. He's playing in the Hero World Challenge there in New Providence in, in the Bahamas. And Ryan Smith is his caddy this week. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Nope, didn't see that. <laughs> so uh, they are in action right now. I believe it's the third round uh, today of that tournament. And Finau is right in the mix. He is even on the day at 10 under par. He is with one, two, three, four, five other golfers all bunched up, tied for second at 10 under par. Brooks Kepka is one under today. Uh, he has the lead at 11 under par. So Apparently, Ryan Smith doing some good things, uh, helping out Tony Finau. They are longtime friends, for those people out there who may not know, but kind of fun to see that uh, playing out on the course down there uh, in the Bahamas. All right, coming up in a moment, five minutes of one of our staples here on the show. We get to Saki. We'll hit on some other topics we haven't had a chance to hit on today. We'll get to more of that coming up next right here on the Saturday Show. I don't want to go ahead. I want to let this roll for a minute. Let this breathe. Eric, you had a good choice of the music today. Yeah, no, no, about. yeah a little There's bit of everything. I like, I like it. All right, welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Hope y'all are doing great out there on this Saturday. December's here. Holy smokes, we are in December. 2021 is both been a long year and a very fast year in many respects. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but if you think about it, I also get it. Uh, by the way, those of you keeping track at home in the Big 12 championship game, uh, Baylor is absolutely pounding Oklahoma State 21-6 to currently. Uh, sure looks like Oklahoma State, unless they can get things going here. They are not going to be in the college football playoff. That actually would be good news for a team like Cincinnati, I feel like. So we'll see uh, what shakes out on that front. But uh, we'll keep you updated on scores as we continue on throughout today's show. I know the MAC championship is also being played right now in Detroit. Northern Illinois at 7-5 and five, off to a flying start. And they're looking to capture the MAC championship. Last night we saw UT San Antonio win the Conference USA title as well as Utah win the Pac-12 title. So congratulations to those teams. No, uh, nothing like hoisting a tro- trophy. So congratulations to those teams as they win those championships. All right, time for five minutes of here on the Saturday show. And let's start it off with one of our favorites, and we call it Saki. It could be an opportunity here, and it's sent over the goalkeeper's head and into the back of the net. And Manchester United have the lead, and once again, it's Cristiano Ronaldo. Now into Marcus Rashford. Val Torres goes alongside him, ball whipped in. Fernandez collected by Jaden Sancho, who scores his first goal for Manchester United. 2 0 on the night, 3 
chance for Michael Carrick and Manchester United in this most turbulent of weeks. Slavin plays it to the outside. Johansson out of the corner. He'll dance a bit, circle the track, hold on to it, wind it, he Williams heads it forward. A chance here. Hatch and Hatch. She scores in her first starting appearance. U.S. gets one of the earliest goals they have ever scored. Coyle walks on and then elects to go to the corner again. He couldn't get anybody. Flipped it out in front of the net. There's Paul's shot. What a rocket shot that was. 5-1 Boston. And now up comes Kellen Rowe, the Ironman for Seattle. The Seattle kid played every game for them this season. He takes at the beginning of sudden death rounds. And it's saved by Ochoa. Salt Lake, the masters of the late, late goal. And this is Justin Merrim going past Susie. Three up with him. Bobby Wood! Bobby Wood may well have won it! For Real Salt Lake! Out of the shadows, off the bench, into the sparkling spotlight, cast potentially as the match winner here. Nice little montage there of both soccer and hockey. And let's start off with Real Salt Lake for a minute here. They are playing in the Western Conference Finals this very afternoon, 4.30 p.m. Mountain Time on Fox Sports 1. Uh, What an incredible run for this franchise. (laughs) They make it into the playoffs in literally the final 30 seconds of the regular season. Then they don't record a shot in 120 minutes worth of action in Seattle. Win it on penalties, you heard in that. And then they take it to Sporting Kansas City last week. That was not a team who sat back and absorbed. They knew they could go toe-to-toe with SKC, and they handed it to the quote-unquote blue hell. So congratulations, Russell. Like now, your biggest test to date. You have been blown out in all three matches this season. You have played against the Portland Timbers. You are going to Providence Park up there in Portland, and you will be trying to avoid another four, five, or six nil drubbing at the hands of the Timbers. Eric, what should we expect today? For things to get stupid. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's what it feels like. I mean, Jeff has been producing the show the last two weeks, and I have said each week, "Well, this is where the, this is where the dream dies for RSL." But they just continue, like Jake, screw you, we're we're proving you wrong. Yeah, I mean, this team is just stupid. I mean, it, it, like one for most of that game, RSL did just sit. RSL leads the league in just having possession in their own half. Not against Sporting Kansas City, though. The second half. The first half was a different story. I'm, I'm just saying there are some things that I don't like about this RSL team with some tendencies, but I will say, since I gave up watching them in person, I've watched all the highlights, since I gave up watching them in person back in mid-June, they've won every game that, I've wa- that I haven't watched, and I turned off that game last week and went to go watch NFL, and they came back so, Jake. I'm sacrificing myself. Okay. I will not be watching this game. I will not be watching any more RSL games. If they win a championship, credit me. 
All right. Well, we thank you for your sacrifice, Eric. Yeah, thank you. you're welcome. Um, other news in soccer, real quick. So you can watch at 4:30 p.m. Mountain Time here. Uh, not here on Fox Sports One uh, this afternoon. RSL versus the Portland Timbers in the Western Conference Final. Uh, and on the other side of the bracket, by the way, the Philadelphia Union apparently dealing with all kinds of COVID issues. Ten to twelve players. Yeah. So not great. That's a lineup. New York City FC is going to MLS Cup. I guess yeah. we'll see. Because they, they, like. they knocked out uh, the New England Revolution, who had been just absolutely incredible all year long in the Eastern Conference. MLS legend David Villa smiling down. <laughs> there you, David Villa. No, no doubt about that. All right, so that's on the soccer side of things. Also, one other soccer note. Congratulations to the BYU Women's Soccer Program. They beat Santa Clara last night on PKs 3-2. to two. They have advanced for the first time to the National Championship match. That will be Monday night, 6 o'clock on ESPNU. Jennifer Rockwood has been the only head coach that BYU women's soccer has had in their entire history. Yes, I, I'm serious. She's the only head coach they have had. She has finally made it to the quote-unquote mountaintop. They had made it to the Final Four of the College Cup for the first time, win last night against Santa Clara, and now they go for the natty as they take on Florida State Monday night. Did you get to see any of these highlights, by the way, last night, Eric? No, I did not. Okay, so on the final PK, so uh, BYU missed their first two PKs. So you're you're behind at that point, and I'm like, oh wow, they're in trouble. Well, they did not say die. They hit on all three of their next three PKs. So they were going first, and that's actually at a disadvantage if you pay attention to soccer and how PKs go. Well, uh, the so the final PK comes with the fifth and final round. BYU scores on their PK. And then Cassidy Smith, the BYU goalkeeper, she gets out there and obviously she's doing a little dance and whatnot. The girl or the young woman from uh, Santa Clara hits her PK and hits it wide of the goal. So she misses the goal. Cassidy Smith just celebrates like, sweet, we, we did it. Meanwhile, her teammates are just rushing at her like, yeah, we won. She had no clue. She had no clue that they had just won the match on that PK. She was that locked in. Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. Pretty cool. Uh, just kind of a funny, funny thing. Because you see her like celebrate, like, okay, yeah, they, they missed it. But then her teammates are just running at her. She's like, oh, we won. <laughs> Pretty funny. So congratulations to the women's soccer program at BYU. They'll face Florida State for the first time in their program history when they face off for the national title there in Santa Clara Monday night. So congratulations to them. All right, now flipping over to the uh, hockey side of soccer. It's a soccer, hockey, put it together. You guys got it. All right, Eric, is Connor McDavid the best hockey player in the world today? Yeah, I mean it's it's not really a question, but I mean he's he's incredible. I feel like he's kind of the topic of conversation for this uh, for this segment every week uh, because uh, he is absolutely he's, insane. He's awesome, um, but I want to point to a different can- Canadian team. Okay, the Calgary Flames. Okay, been on a tear recently. They've Greg Bell's favorite team, by the way. They've he- gotten better goaltending than they did last year. And here they are, they're sitting at the top of the Pacific Division with 35 points. In the Pacific Division, everybody says, going into the year, oh, well, that's a terrible division. (laughs) Well, maybe not so much. You currently house two of the top teams in the Western Conference, along with the Anaheim Ducks, San Jose Sharks, who have been on a tear recently as well, just recently got into wildcard berth. And the Vegas Golden Knights, who are just getting healthy now and starting to drum on opponents. They beat Arizona 7-1 last night. But Arizona, of course, one of the worst teams in the league. Um, you got the 
Seattle Kraken hey, and Vancouver. We're not we're not bottom of the table yeah, right now. My Seattle Kraken are not Vancouver bottom of the table. Canucks taking up the rear, but that Pacific Division is not nearly as bad okay. as everyone says it is. Uh, interesting thing in the Eastern Conference: the New York Rangers very hot right now. They are playing very good hockey. They are probably one of my favorite teams to watch in the NHL right now. If you've got ESPN Plus, it's a great kind of. You get you're getting off of work around five. Maybe you're driving. Just put on the game in the background. Listen to the Rangers game. One, they've got a terrific play-by-play announcer on MSG. I really like him. He's one of the better guys. I don't have his name, of course, but he's one of the better NHL uh, TV guys. <laughs> I don't know his name, but he's fantastic at his job. <laughs> in, the, uh, in the NHL, uh, and uh, the Rangers are just fun to watch. So um, shout-out to the Rangers. One of the team probably should shout-out Toronto Maple Leafs. They're making a surge. Oh, yeah. They're 9-1 in they their last 10. They beat the brakes off the Colorado Avalanche the other night. That was not fun. Your abs. Yeah. All right, so there you go. That's the that's the socky portion of today's show. Get you caught up on all things soccer and hockey. Uh, one other thing here, Eric, we need to talk about Major League Baseball for a moment as we round out uh, this this episode, or I guess this edition of the Saturday Show. Major League Baseball is currently in a lockout. The Major League Baseball owners locked out the Players Association at the outset of their current, uh, or what was their current, uh, collective bargaining agreement expiring earlier this week. So the sport has gone into a dark period. And I understand why owners did this, but it's yet another bad look for baseball. This is a sport that has fraught over the years, over the past, it feels like, 50 years, where they've had these labor stoppages, and it just it reflects badly on the sport. It's just a bad look. And we've seen this in the NFL. We've seen this in the NBA. We have seen labor stoppages in these other sports. But baseball, the fact that they had a World Series in 1994 canceled due to a labor stoppage, they've had multiple labor stoppages. Uh, it feels like the NBA, I can think of, two in my lifetime with the NBA, maybe, maybe a third, and only one in the NFL in my lifetime that I can vividly remember. The baseball, I can remember multiple stoppages in my lifetime. Where do you stand on this? Do you, do you are you, because they they handed out almost a, no, it was over, it was over a billion dollars worth of deals were handed out in the days leading up to this lockout. Money's not in short supply here, Eric. Baseball needs to figure this out. Yeah, no, the issue seems to be, from what I've read, right Yes, uh, and players getting held back in the minors, so they get their you know st- incredibly weird like seven year rookie deal basically. Uh, it's the yeah they, they locked in. They literally lock them in for an extra yep. year or two due to keeping them in the minors for X number. Of, it's the stupidest. Yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, that's to me the number one thing. But overall, now Jake, I have some sources. Uh oh, sources. Steve Klauke. Um, um, <laughs> Don't reveal your sources. Um, Eric, have you learned nothing about this industry? No, I okay. think Steve would be fine with me saying this. He doesn't think that it's going to last of a regular season. Good. He's talked with a lot of people around baseball a lot more than me, and uh, he he believes that it won't affect the regular season of baseball. And it turns out it's not tied to the minor leagues, so the bees will will start on time this year. Right? Yeah, the, the minor yeah, play some, yeah, uh, this some is, baseball. This is purely a major league baseball issue. The minor leagues, yeah, they have been exempted from this, or they're just they're not affected by this stoppage. And 
I am glad to hear that Klauke is bullish on them figuring this out. That's what uh, Rob Manfred, the MLB commissioner, said. Is The reason why they locked, locked did the lockout now is to protect the regular season, but it's just a perception thing for me. Like This is a bad look for a sport that already it feels like is hemorrhaging fans. We talk about it all the time, and PK... <laughs> To his everlasting credit, talk about them. Well, you and DJ talk about that soccer is the sport of the future, and that's where the young fans are going. Well, Major League Baseball, the the metrics say that baseball fans, by and large, are the oldest demographic in terms of just overall average age. Major League Baseball has the oldest demographic. What are you doing to attract younger fans? I don't see much. You talk about trying to to shorten games. Well, great. You've done nothing really of substantive uh, process to do that. I just I, I think it's a bad look, and they need to figure it out. So we'll just leave it there. All right. More in a moment. We'll wrap up today's show. Some thoughts on Utah State as they get ready to take on San Diego State for the Mountain West Championship. That's all coming up right here on the Saturday Show. Wrapping up the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Thank you so much for all of you for joining us here on this Saturday morning. It's been a fun one, and the day is just beginning. Eric, you're rolling on here. You're going to be stepping over and taking over Utah State. Scott Gerard, Kevin White, they are in Los Angeles, or I guess we probably should say Carson, California, for the Mountain West uh, Conference Championship game. You looking forward to this one? Yeah, I am. I uh, I think that Utah State's a really good football team, and I think that they have a real shot to uh, win this game. I think it's going to be tough. I think they can't make some of the mistakes they've made in the past with getting down early, especially to a dominant defensive team like San Diego State. But I think this is a great matchup and a great kind of... Uh, you know, this has been a year of yardstick tests for sure. them. Yeah. Of you know where the program is, and it'll it'll be a good yardstick test today to see if they can compete and and stay competitive in a Mountain West championship. And I think they can do that. Well, and more importantly, you said a dominant defensive team, a run heavy team too in San Diego State. You cannot afford to have San Diego State run the ball down your throat all game. Because if you fall behind early, you know exactly what San Diego State's going to do. They're going to sit on that ball. They're going to just run, run, run. Don't worry. I, I work with David James. Might be the biggest San Diego State fan within 100 miles of this place. And I, I mean that in the best way possible. He, he grew up a San Diego State guy, and he's talking about the fact he's like, you give them a chance, they'll run on first down, they'll run on second down, they'll run on third down, and if it's close enough, they may even run it on fourth down, just because they feel feel that they are that dominant in that respect. And that's going to be very, very critical, I think, for San Diego State in this game. Another thing on this, and you've been doing Utah State games all year long, Logan Bonner needs to have one of his best games. Yeah, he has had a bit of a turnover problem throughout the entire season. He's thrown a pick almost in every game he's played. Ten interceptions on the year. Um, So that's been a concerning part of what has otherwise been an incredible season. He has a chance today to to break the uh, single-season passing touchdown record. Uh, I don't know if it's for the regular season or not still. I don't know if they count this towards the regular season, but I know he tied Jordan Love's record last week, so one more touchdown and 
you know, in my books, he broke the record. Well, I, I assumed it was Jordan Love. I was like, either that, it's that or Anthony Calvillo probably is the only other guy who's probably in the mix for that type of an award. But he needs to have one of his best games. Obviously, when you have like Devin Tompkins, 87 receptions, 1,500 plus yards, nine touchdowns on the year, that is a great weapon to have in this game. But you cannot, as you mentioned, afford to fall behind early. If this becomes like a 14 nothing ball game in the first quarter, like we've seen Utah State do multiple times this year, and they've dragged themselves out of that multiple times. They have a 9 three record for a reason but if they want to avoid a a catastrophe you have to play toe-to-toe with the san diego state team you have to force san diego state to play a different style than they are used to uh looking at this san diego state they're gonna sit on the ball they average 27.8 points per game but they're 11 and 1 for a reason they just absolutely want to pound you up front they're gonna run the ball and if you can stop it that's gonna be a big key in this game because they're not a team that is by any means explosive on offense because this is not the best running San Diego State team. This is a team, I'm looking at Lucas Johnson's stats, their starting quarterback, the guy who I presume will start. 1,091 yards, nine touchdowns, four interceptions. This is not a high fly in San Diego State offense. But if you give them the opportunity to take a lead early in this game, you can guarantee that they are going to go back to what is their bread and butter. And that's guys like Greg Bell just running the ball every single down, and it's going to be a demoralizing day in Carson. Yeah, I think one big thing to watch here is Utah State's defense. Sure. From Bonda's group has been much better over mm-hmm. the past few weeks of the season. They started out as a bit of a liability. Utah State was getting in a lot of shootouts, but really ever since that Hawaii game, they've kind of rounded into form, and they're they're holding teams to reasonable numbers, and most of the time, early in games, you look at that San Jose State game, you look at last week even, before they broke it open on New Mexico, Mm. they're keeping the Aggies in it when the offense struggles early. So, I think that'll be something to watch, and uh, definitely an intriguing factor in this game. Well, that's going to be coming up next. Pre-game coverage of Utah State and San Diego State in the Mountain West Conference Championship game. Scott Gerard, Kevin White will get you ready. They are there in Carson. Eric, obviously, we'll be producing that from here in our studios here in Salt Lake City. But thank you to all of you for joining us here on the Saturday show. It's been brought to you by our friends at Mountainland Supply. Appreciate them being the title sponsor of this program and appreciate all of you for taking the time to listen to this show. That's going to do it for Eric. I'm Jake. Have a great rest of your day. This has been the Saturday Show right here on 97.5 FM, 1280 AM, and the Zone Sports Network.